Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. Good. I've been off for a while. Have to go back to work. Mm -hmm. So uh, right into the federal election and the endless COVID saga. So here we go again. Bruce, uh, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing all right, all things considered. I mean, there's lots of chaos out there these days, and you mentioned two of the reasons. Life goes on, but it uh, seems to be getting to be more of a struggle some days. A lot less chaos if you just stay off Twitter, I notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been Suddenly doing more things- of that. I'm, I'm becoming more recalcitrant as I'm getting older. I I have to. I'm, I'm just thinking about... Uh, being on there now and then, but com- kind of backing away from it uh, c- considerably. Uh, it just seems to be a stress amplifier. So, and you start to question how useful it is. Already, most people aren't on Twitter, so they don't even know what we're talking about. They're smarter than us. Uh, uh, so, what we're going to be talking about today is we're, we're continuing on with our prospect series, and we're going to be looking at three players, Dmitry Samarukov, Ryan McLeod, and Xavier Borgo. One of the few players drafted high from the Quebec League, not named Zachary. <laughs> so, these guys called Zachary. Big name in Quebec, I guess, 20 years or 18 years ago. Uh, Bruce will also, uh, there's really nothing to talk about in terms of the the Oilers, is there? I can't. I, there's nothing. Not a to, lot going on, David. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Lo- yeah, they they had to stuff their whole. They basically had to take their two months vacation in a month, so they're vacationing pretty hard right now, I think, and and as they should, you know. Realistically, it's only it's only us uh, ink stained wretches that have to work twelve months of the year, right? <laughs> well, and they the players themselves have been off for a little bit more than a month, of course. They're working. They're they're, yeah, they're oh yeah. You know, it's not like the old days where you you know sit on the deck deck uh, the dock of the bay and drink beer in the NHL. Like these guys work like crazy and they watch their diets and it's a it's a science right now in terms of getting ready for the season. All right, Bruce. Um, we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, we, we will start though with a couple of pieces of news. Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi's oh. uh, offer sheet. Which some some people, including Jack Todd of Montreal Gazette, I don't know if you read his column, but he he was really upset about the offer sheet. Oh, was he? Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't get why people are upset by offer sheets. I just think the weird thing about offer sheets is why they're not more common. Uh, yeah. But um, it's completely within the rules. I don't know. I can't speak to Kotken Yemi's value as a player. I like, the, you know, the, it's an interesting thing to... To make an offer sheet on a guy for just one year, not sign him to a longer contract, because um, you're giving up a first and a third. You're renting him for a year because then he's free to go elsewhere. Well, he isn't. He isn't. I mean, you have uh, you have um, RFA, rights. RFA rights, but his qualifying offer is six point one million now, which is an awful lot for a guy that's proven as little as Kotkaniemi has to this point. But the talk is scuttlebutt is that. Um, he and the Canes have already pre-agreed to a, a long-term extension next year at a lower figure, uh, of course, which would be illegal. 
which isn't to say it hasn't happened because things have been known to happen in the NHL that weren't entirely uh, above the boards. But uh, uh, he, uh, they wanted to, Montreal was in cap hell, and they just thought if we give them this offer, they might not be able to compete with her. We can really hurt them. And I think what they really want to do is hurt Montreal because Montreal signed Sebastian Ajo to an offer sheet two years ago. So this is very much a revenge. That was very, very clear in, in the uh, tweets that they put out and in the bonus structure, like his his salary is six dollars $6, and his Kotkin Emmy is number 15 with a signing bonus of, get this, $20. Sebastian Ajo is number 20. Like if you don't think there's a message in there, then uh, you don't know numerology. <laughs> Yeah, there's some pretty good signs there, isn't there? I hadn't known that. I, you know, they, this, they tweeted the exact same words as Montreal did when oh, they signed okay. Aho. They put out a tweet in French with with the same words that Montreal from Carolina. They had a tweet in French. They talked about an offer sheet. You know what an offer sheet is in French? It's offer hostile, hostile offer, which is a way better word than offer sheet to begin with. Oh, hostile. So they made a hostile takeover of yes very Kotkaniemi and it was uh, there was a more than a little um uh, uh, uh cynical fun being had by uh Carolina at Montreal's expense and it's uh it's going to make for an interesting rivalry if, if nothing else as uh, time goes forward well to the extent that the move was a revenge move it's a mistake you know mm-hmm. they might be just having fun with that playing with that but if they really don't think Kotkaniemi is a good player, I guess it's like they get, um, Bob Stauffer was mentioning on orders now, like they get league money, right, to keep operating in Carolina. Like, I mean, it's just kind of free money. Someone else's money they're throwing around, like Montreal's money. But listen, <laughs> cap space is, <laughs> cap space is currency in the NHL. And if they don't really it's think this is a good player and he's not worth that somehow into the long term, that's this is a really bad decision on Carolina's part. Uh, but if they think if they think he's a good player, then you know that this is this makes sense. I I we I can't read their minds, but they do get they that, those are some pretty interesting little uh, smoke signals they send out there that do speak to like hostility. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, apparently the or, oh, owner uh, Tom Dundun is it. He was uh, not very impressed by the offer sheet, and I don't know what it is about the NHL, but they they they. I mean, you remember Brian Burke challenging. Oh, I know. Uh, Kevin Lowe to a barn fight. And there was a revenge offer sheet for Ryan Kessler from uh, uh, when Philadelphia and Vancouver made made each offer sheeted a player off the other team. They each hurt the other team when they had to match and they had to pay the guy more than they wanted to pay him. Right. And uh, it it was. uh, uh, And it's been such a. Teams have been so reluctant to use it. You know how many successful offer sheets there have been so far in the 21st century, which is now 21 years old? One. One. Dustin Penner. The one and only that actually got signed and went to the team that signed him. All the others got matched, and a whole lot of them got matched with major bitter feelings. Well, Montreal spent a lot of cash last year, right, building that team, and it, it paid off. They got to the Stanley Cup yep. final, so I hope it was worth it. Not a big Habs fan, so maybe if I was more of a Habs fan, I'd be more upset about this. But I, I'm not. I just it is what it is. It's 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 within the rules. Uh, 
Car- presumably Carolina isn't run by dummies. They they know what they're doing, and they they think they're getting a good player at a price they can afford. So they've got a mid full of good fins there in in Carolina. They got Aho, of course, and uh, Toivu Taravainen, who they got from Chicago in a salary cap oh, related that was a transaction. Good deal. Uh, that was a steal. Was that the Bickell? Was that related to B- Brian McKell? Brian Bickle, yeah. Yeah, they, they picked Bickle. it last year, Brian Bickle's contract, and uh, Chicago threw in Toivu Teravine, and who's done nothing but fill the net for Carolina ever since. Um, you know, so anyway, they got they got some some talent there, and Kot Kinemi, you know, he, I mean, he's a, he's a good young player, but he's got miles to go, but See a better player. See a better player than Kyler Yamamoto. It's hard to know. He's a center. He's a big center, right? So he has more potential. Like he's, you know, the, you know, they, they still. There's always that hope with the big centers that they're going to become something, even when they're kind of trending sideways a little bit. Uh, Bruce sure did more in the playoffs than Kyler Yamamoto. Yeah. Corey Pronman of the Athletic came out uh, Mm. with his. Ranking, he's ranking the NHL's prospects team by team, and the orders finished 25 out of 32 teams, I guess. 25 out of 32 teams, yep. not exactly that high. 32. Not exactly that high. It's every player under the age of 22. Um, I, you know, Corey Prodman, he's he's a hardworking guy and a mm-hmm. valuable resource for describing the play of yep. amateur players. I, I was a little shocked though. Um, at a couple of his um, evaluations of Edmonton Oilers prospects. So he had Evan Bouchard as the third best prospect on the team yep. behind uh, Yamamoto, Kyler Yamamoto and Dylan Holloway. I, I would probably have Bouchard first, mm-hmm. um, including Yamamoto on that list. I think I, I wouldn't right. trade Kyler Yamamoto for Evan Bouchard. So, um, but he had, he rated uh, Evan Bouchard's puck skills as below average by NHL standards. So below average NHL puck skills. Mm-hmm. Bruce, we, we were talking about this we before. Could be like, we, we were thinking, is this a typo? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> is, um, he, there he is a typo right above it. It says skating, blow average, not below, blow. That's what I mean, <laughs> skating blows. Uh, and and that one, I can at least sort of say, skating below average, yeah, I mean, he's, he's yeah. uh, you know, I can Fair say enough. that, but puck skills below average, hockey sense above average, compete average, shot above average, that's his five categories. So he had two above and two below for, for Bouchard, but the comment said, I mean, you think of this, puck skills below average, and the comment says, there's no doubt he can make a lot happen offensively. His vision from both ends of the ice is great. He can hit seams and make a lot of outlets effectively and be creative with the puck. And then he gets into his shot and other stuff. Uh, and uh, uh, then he brings up questions about the skating. But um, I don't see anything in the commentary that supports uh, below average. And I I think too much of Corey Priman to think that he sees... Uh, that is a below average skill in Evan Bouchard. Like that's what he's got. That's his game in spades is what he can do when he's got the puck on the stick. And uh, I, I think it's a typo. I honestly do. I, I think that that's probably the, the soundest, <laughs> the soundest because there's no way that Evan Bouchard is below average with the puck uh, mm-hmm. by the NHL standards. He's, he's not average. 
he's above average. If he was, if he gets a regular shift with the Oilers, he will be their best defenseman shooting, moving. I mean, he has a different category for shooting, but just, you know, carrying the, retrieving the, getting the puck on a stick, holding the puck, making the right play, walking the line, stick handling the puck, moving the puck. He's, he's, he will be better than Darnell Nurse, I believe. And Tyson Berry, who are probably, they're going to be their two best guys this, this coming year. He'll be better than either of them. He's just gifted, I think, moving the puck. So, yeah, we'll go with typo. The other one that I quibbled with, he had, um, and this is less of a quibble, um, he had Dylan Holloway as an average skater. And so we, we watched, I watched him both at the World Junior Championships, Dylan Holloway, and in four or five, six games uh, in college hockey. He He was a little banged up and wasn't great with the puck at the World Junior, but he was moving pretty fast. But Bruce, when he got back to college this year, that guy's a rocket. Like he moves. He is a fast skater. So I'm not uh, hockey. Hockey uh, skating average. I'm gonna. That, there's a quibble there. I'm gonna say he's he's above average. And that's what's if he's gonna get in the NHL and stay there, it's gonna be that skating and his size and his hitting. Plus, he can move the puck a bit. Well, what, what I see in this skating department, I mean, this is quibbling maybe a little bit, but he makes a beeline for the puck, uh, which is great. Like, that's an awesome thing for him to have. I love that aspect of his game. Uh, and is is he, um, and he, and he wins pucks. So he says skating average, compete above average. Well, uh, between the two of them, you're going to win some puck battles. But And he does say average, meaning NHL average. It's not that modern pejorative term, average, meaning not good enough. Yeah. He's up to NHL standard uh, for skating. Uh, I see him as a little bit better, but the, I have much less of a quibble than, than with that than the one on Evan Bouchard, which I thought was too, like, he from below average to above average is a double jump, which is, the, you know, more of a, to me, a... a uh, an error. Uh, this one, I'd like to think uh, that he's erred on the side of caution, and he would be above average, not elite. Maybe, maybe you know. I mean, objectively, that's what you want. I mean, his top mark is elite, and uh, we didn't see any of that on any of the Oilers in any skill. Yeah, I'm just looking up what Corey had um, for. Oh, here we go. Where he ranked. This particular player, Holloway, in the draft. Let's Google Holloway on my list. So he in the that draft he had him twenty second overall. Right. Um, so he had him on the lower end. Um, some people had him as uh, Sam Cosentino had Holloway ranked ninth. That was the highest that Holloway was ranked. I think in a redraft, Bruce mm-hmm. Holloway would go two or three or four two or three points draft places higher than, than he went right now. So and again, uh, here's the short verbal. Holloway had an excellent season as one of the best forwards in college hockey and a leading player on a top team. He's a well-rounded hockey player. He skates and competes well. He has high skill level. He can make plays and score goals at a quick pace. He won't be the most dangerous player with a puck on a stick on an NHL line, but he can drive play while also being a physical player off the puck. I see a projected top six forward in the NHL. I mean, that's a pretty positive commentary. Correct. Oh. And he says he skates well. So, like, his his average is average NHL, which is which is really, really damn good. Like, it's 
it's you know it's it's a you know by western hockey league or college or ahl standards it's that's really strong skating just comparing them to other nhlers but that said i do think he's probably from what i've seen maybe i just watched the oilers too much and and alex jason and zach cass well zach cassian can skate a bit but maybe i've seen too many slow skaters over the years but i have also seen Connor mcdavid and i'm not saying that oh, well, dylan holloway's that fast <laughs> But Dylan Holloway is in the race, right? Like for the next fastest forward on the orders, I think he'd be in the race, honestly. Like that guy flies. So well, now that the now that the, the immortal Joachim Nigard is headed back to ah, yes. after having beaten Connor McDavid in the fastest skater competition at the skills contest that, that one year. Uh, mind you, that was the year McDavid was coming off the knee thing. Uh but um uh, yeah, the team speed is 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 going to be something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. You remember that uh, Holland brought in guys like Negard, Gaetan Haas, and uh, and uh, Tyler Ennis among others to 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 address that. And, and some of those burners he brought in aren't there, so some of those replacements uh, are going to need to burn a little bit. So that may be his 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 window into the team is his. Is his fast and I would call it aggressive skating. Yeah, we'll have to see how fast. Like Hyman, I don't think is known as a fast skater. What about Warren Fogel? I don't know. No, well, Ryan's that's what known we're as a fast. Watch, Ryan's kind of fast, isn't he? Like he, he's known for his skating. I yeah, think. he's quick. He's quick, and of course, um, uh, the other Ryan that we're going to talk about here in a bit, McLeod, uh, he's pretty quick too, and he's a relative newcomer to the team, so. You know, he, he's going to address to some extent that team speed thing. Why don't we start with Ryan McLeod, Bruce? Um, do you want to introduce this player? Yeah, he was a, uh, a pick in 2018, second round, right after Philip Broberg. Um, uh, sorry, no, right after uh, Evan Bouchard. It was Chirelli's last year as GM and uh, Keith Gretzky. Uh, 40th overall, so an early pick on the Saturday. Uh, a big forward, uh, fast, late birthday from Ontario. And so he, uh, and the Oilers, for whatever reason, they've taken a lot of late birthdays with their, uh, especially their forwards, their, their top forward, five year, years in a row, it's been a late birthday, which means they're the oldest guys in their draft class. But they also turn pro when they're the youngest because they only have one more year of junior left and not the two that the that's sort of the regular birthday guys have. So he already was turning pro uh, in his draft plus two season. And uh, he uh, uh, he had kind of a weak first year in Bakersfield. And then this year, uh, his draft plus three season and his second pro year, he, uh, uh, he went overseas, of course, during the COVID lockout, uh, uh, posted pretty decent numbers over there, and then came back to the AHL and lit it up. And he was uh, terrific on a very high-powered line with Tyler Benson and Cooper Marodi. Point a game, uh, half goals, half assists. Like, he was putting the puck in the net himself. And uh, uh, he uh, uh, he was the one guy on the entire team in Bakersfield that got called up to the Oilers during the season and actually got into NHL games. And he they put him in and they left him in. He played all the way through the end of the regular season and the, and the playoffs. Uh, in the center position in the bottom six, and uh, he he 
survived in the NHL, I wouldn't say he lit it up. He didn't score. He wasn't really an offensive threat at all. And that's uh, uh, that's something that he's going to have to uh, uh, rediscover that he had in the AHL as a, as a modicum of scoring. He, he out of junior, he was kind of a, I don't know if the words, a, maybe they expected a bit more of this player offensively in major junior hockey. Um, you know, he got, he's kind of a point a game guy in his draft year. So, um, you know, he's so big, so fast, and he's got some skill. But in the AHL, he really did take a step up as a scorer. Now, that could be in part related to playing with two great AHL attackers in Tyler Benson and Cooper Marody, who get to be seen if they can become, you know, solid NHL at- attackers, or if any of them can. But because M- McLeod's the youngest, the biggest, and the fastest, he's getting the hardest, you know, he's he's seen as the best prospect. I was pleasantly surprised by his play in Edmonton. He in Switzerland, I'd noticed that he was still having defensive problems, losing guys in the slot, and um, now and then, I mean, he, on that big ice surface, he was just fantastic with the puck. He was just flying down the wing, and he's made for the European game, that's for sure. But uh, I was surprised at, at his AHL production, and happily surprised. That was fantastic to see that kind of a improvement from him on the attack. I don't know in the NHL what, what kind of attacker we're going to see, or even if he's going to play the center, we'll have to see how he does on faceoffs. But what I, what I was worried about is that he would not hold his own defensively. And he did. I thought he was generally um, making the right reads and defensively responsible. And, and that's, that's just an absolute must for this player. If he's going to be an NHL center, he's going to have to do it on defensive play. And if he makes his mind up to do that with his size, speed, um, he should be able to get it done. There's nothing stopping him. So maybe uh, he, you know, Jay Woodcroft is known as a really good coach down there. He's had a c- couple years with this player and maybe um, that was something that clicked for McLeod this season because he does have a chance um, to be the fourth line center on the orders this year or the third line center. There's McDavid and Dreisaitl and then Ryan, Derek Ryan and McLeod. Uh, there's Devin Shore. I don't really think they like Devin Shore as a center or that Devin Shore is a, a very good center. He's not strong enough defensively, like in terms of the defensive reads, he's he's just too reactive. So McLeod has his chance to grab that fourth line center job that Jujar Kara had for a number of years. It's funny, I was just thinking of Kara, you know, I was like, and where, are we going to miss him? And I just thought... I am. I, I thought I'm not because he didn't make big play like he just really in the end didn't come through in the playoffs those are the player the players i did i miss uh when they're gone and he had a couple chances so maybe maybe he'll be great but it's, it's not to think that he couldn't you know score a couple big goals in his next stop in the playoffs and kind of be that guy maybe he will in the future but he just and some maybe it has to do with bad puck luck or something maybe he had his chances but carrot in the end just never got it done helped them win in the playoffs which is the mm-hmm. ultimate way well, I rate a hockey player. Well, then you can rate a lot of Oilers poorly, David. Oh, for sure, Bruce. You know, for sure. I mean, he, I mean, Kara, he scored the goal in game three that put Edmonton ahead four to one. It should have put that game to bed and didn't. Um, so, you know, it, it, uh, 
a failure in the playoffs. It's, you know, it's, it's rare, rare and usually incorrect to point the finger at one or two players. And I know oh, that's no, no, do, I would point it at a lot of guys. I know what you're doing, but there, yeah. there's, uh, uh, there's, um, he's got game and I, I thought he was really starting to bring it. I think Chicago could get a real steal out of him for the next two years at a decent price. I'll get value out of him. But. I think that's that's a real possibility too, Bruce. And I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying I'm not going to like, I, I'm just not, I'm not thinking I'm going to miss his play. And I'd rather see them go with Derek Ryan and, and uh, Ryan McLeod at this point. Like if, if you know, where where it is right Ryan now. McLeod, our bottom six <laughs> Yeah. Um, he, he played in three different league, leagues last year in three different countries, McLeod, and he played double-digit games in each one. That wasn't easily done with the uh, with the chaos that was uh, yeah uh, scheduled last year. But uh, uh, between Zug, Bakersfield, Edmonton, 15, 28, 10 games respectively, and then the four in the playoffs for the Oilers. So he got that was a huge, huge, huge developmental year for the guy. Like we had to push him up our rankings based on just how far ahead he pushed his game from before. He's starting to realize some of his promise. Um, well, think of where he was after his first year in Bakersfield, where he really didn't have that auspicious a debut. It's pretty clear uh, they liked him. Like, they gave him some special teams play even in that first season. And But uh, he's they're liking him, and he's given them every reason to like him. So good for uh, Ryan McLeod. Bruce, let's move on to Xavier Borgo. And um, I'm going to be writing about him. And I've been digging into um, NHL equivalencies, which is they look at the they look at how the player did in his league, and then they try to say how he would do in the NHL based on that last year's scoring in the league. And it's typically used with players in their draft years, coming out of major junior hockey. Um, so I've looked at every Euler player drafted in the first round and some in the second and second round as well in the last 20 years. So so the best NHLE, to put it in perspective, like to give you some idea of how these numbers work, Connor McDavid is a junior player, played 67 games, 169 points, uh, 2.52 points per game in his last year of junior. And I actually, I add uh, both playoff and regular mm-hmm. season together when I do it because I like to get the bigger sample size. Yep. And so his NHL equivalency is 67 points. That's what was expected of him. As a 17-year-old. Yeah. Is it for the same year? As if he is it? Are they projecting him into the next year? Or are they saying if he had played that year in the NHL? I guess they're saying if they played that year in the NHL. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So if he as a 17-year-old, if he had played in the NHL, he would have got 67 points. That's the idea. So that's that is about right. And the worst was Mitch Mraz. Second round pick in uh, 2012, 32nd overall, Bruce. He had, uh, in 86 games, he had 33 points, and his NHL equivalency would have been 10 points. So that's uh, that's the range. So I'll just read a few of the equivalencies. Uh, Taylor Hall's 49. Uh, Nail Yakupov, 41. Kalari Yamamoto, 38. Tyler Ennis, 31, Rob Shremp, 30, Raphael Lavoie, 29, Ryan McLeod, 27, um, Tyler Benson, 23, J.F. Jacques, 11. And Borgo is in, so in 34 games, he had 44 points. Uh, 
regular season and playoffs this year in the queue. His NHLE is 30. So he's right in the range of Tyler Ennis, Gilbert Brule, Rob Shrimp, Raphael Lavoie, Brendan Perlini. And then there's two players, David Perron and Jordan Eberle, who have NHLEs of 27. So it's not an exact science in predicting the future, obviously, Bruce, because we have this group of players and some of them were total busts as NHL players. And then we have Perron and Eberle, who are actually a little below in terms of NHLE and become have become top six wingers, top line wingers at times in the NHL. So with Borgo, um, that's kind of where we're at. We, I, don't, I, I don't know how helpful that is in the end in terms of right. assessing him. But Bruce, I will. there's one other interesting fact. Because so few players played in major junior hockey this year, um, there's only, in the first round, there was only five forwards who had NHLEs uh, drafted this year. And the best was Dylan Gunther of the Oil Kings, who has an who has an NHLE of 50 points. He had he, he had uh, two points a game in his 12 games with the Oil Kings. But the second best forward taken in this year's draft for NHLE, mm-hmm. um, if you just if you're just looking at the major junior leagues, is Xavier Burgo. Um, so he wasn't a reach when he was drafted. People who believe in NHLE and go by the numbers tended to have Xavier Burgo rated more highly than uh, than other other people. And when you look at the comments made about him at the draft, it seems to be um, highly creative offensive player, uh, great passer, a really good shot, sneaky shot, can get it off fast and, and, and a dangerous shot, mm-hmm. needs work on his checking and maybe on his work ethic, which reminds me of probably every forward drafted between 15 and 30 in the NHL draft. <laughs> In the last ever. 20 years, ever. <laughs> like they, they say, well, there could be there could be the big Bobby Clobber type, right? Who's who's the big guy who who they're hoping who can skate fast. Who that's the other kind of forward who's typically drafted then. And um Ottawa got a guy like him, right? At I think at number 10 this year. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. They took him. Uh but those are the two types of players. But I mean, this is what they would have said about Shrimp. Or uh, probably about Tyler Ennis or about Eberly or about Perron as they're coming out as well. It would have been a, the exact same scouting report. And we just don't know, is this gonna is this guy Robbie Shrimp or is this guy Jordan Eberly? We don't know. Yeah, Scott Wheeler and the Athletic had some uh, interesting things to say on them, about him, saying it was... Uh, um, Schwinnigan's second most productive player in both seasons, last two seasons, behind a first-round pick, uh, Maverick Bork, that you may remember got, yeah. got pushed in last year's draft, and of course a year older uh, than Burgos, so should be ahead of him. And he says, Burgos' game doesn't leap off the ice at you, but he's dangerous in a variety of ways. Uh, I like this part, with a deceptive release that comes off of his blade early in his shooting motion and stance. I, to surprise goalies off of either foot and from awkward positions too. So his shot is, you know, he, he, he lets he lets it fly when the goalie's not expecting it. It's basically what's what he's saying there. He's got uh, and and it comes off his stick and 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 uh, uh, early, so more likely to surprise the goalie. So I mean, uh, I trust Scott Wheeler as a very careful observer of the game. So again, something to watch for, but. Uh, uh, clearly, he's got the ability to create offense with 40 points in 29 regular season games this year. He was pretty consistent. He was at least a point a game in every month of the of the season. 
little hotter at the end of the year until then the playoffs he got four points in five games a little bit of a question mark or disappointing finish to the campaign of course it was a short year in the queue that all the players only played in 30 odd games yeah so we'll see how i mean it's it, he seems like it, it's always exciting when the orders take an attacking forward you know like someone who's just getting it done on the attack and you know, you can hope he can add to this, uh, to the mix sooner than later. Wingers can advance quickly. I mean, um, much more quickly than other players because their defensive responsibility is less and their defensive reads are much less difficult. So they're able to fit in at the NHL level quicker than other players are if they have that, you know, glittering offensive talent, which can come out at a fairly young age. So we could see this player, you know, we're not going to see him this coming year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the year after, probably still unlikely he'd be he'll be in the AHL then. But it's it could be as quickly as you know after this season, we could start seeing him if he really comes on strong. And I think he was invited to Team Canada, if I'm not mistaken. So um, he will have a chance to make that team. Any final thoughts yeah, on they, him? They had a, they had a big camp. Well, he's. It kind of fits the profile of uh, Oilers. Like there was people that thought they should have took the Swedish goalie. Uh, oh yeah, that was a controversy. Well, uh, there was a big controversy about that. But uh, Borgo, yeah. uh, uh, the Oilers have had an imbalance in their prospect list in the last few years with more defensemen, uh, you know, sort of a disproportionate number of defensemen and goalies, and relatively few forwards. And they kind of shored that up a bit these last two years with Holloway and and uh, and Borgo being picked high, and they also got you know a couple of pretty decent prospects like Lavoie that they got in the second round, and uh, they're a little bit more balanced in terms of having prospects at all positions. Yeah. So uh, I was mentioning that the, the people who love the numbers tended to rate him more highly. And so Alan Mitchell, low tide, had him the highest of any of the major, you know, public draft rate raters. He had him ranked 14th overall. So low tide must have been happy with that pick, I'm guessing. Or there might have been someone even higher on low tide's list still left. I can't recall. And uh, Brad McPherson, uh, who's another person who puts a lot of stock in the numbers, had him Bullet ranked Brad. seven. Yeah, Bullet Brad had him at 17. Those were the two highest rankings uh mark seidel who covers the ohl and all of junior hockey had him 19th the lowest ranking was steve cornianus who had him at 46th but he was pretty solidly bruce Mm -hmm. in the low 20s 21 21 22 23 25 21 20 24 so he's taken exactly kind of exactly where he was expected to take and uh you know I remember other years when they took Eberly and Yamamoto, where they, you know, they were taking exactly where they expected to take, and everyone was thinking this, and hey, those worked out. So, for so, you know, as irrational as as it is, that gives me a little bit of encouragement that this one will work out as well. All three of them are are sort of smallish, right shot, right wingers. He played center though, Borgo. In he plays, he, he's listed as a center, but he played a lot of wings. Played a lot of wing. Bruce, our last player is um, one of my favorite prospects, Dmitry Samarukov. 
when we when I look at players who have improved as prospects in the last year, they, you know, McLeod certainly near the top of that list, but uh, Sam Marukov might be at the top of the list. He came out. Um, he was a third round draft pick, and uh, he slowly worked his way up. Uh, he worked his way up in the OHL until he became one of the best, if not the best defenseman in the OHL. And by the time he led his team to the Memorial Cup tournament, you know, he was one of the best, if not the best young D-man in major junior hockey that year. He was just, he was so strong on his skates, big, strong guy, kind of a Mikhail Sergachev. Uh, maybe I'm comparing them because they're both Russians, but, you know, the same idea. Big, fast on their skates, strong on their skates, good with the puck, uh, has a physical game. And in his final year playing in the Memorial Cup, he was he was rushing the puck, shooting the puck, making moves at the blue line, attacking, attacking, attacking. He looked like a real comer. And then he went to the AHL, Bruce, and he just, uh, the wheels fell off in that first year. He just really struggled, which which is not at all alarming. This happens again and again and again to young defensemen. We saw it with Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear. They came out of junior major junior hockey as as you know super solid excellent major junior hockey players and then they struggled in their first year in Bakersfield, so um, it's not a great thing to happen but it's not a terrible thing to happen with a defenseman. What you're looking for though is that next year. What's going to happen in that next year? Can they bounce back? So I'll, I'll let you take over at this point. What did we see from him in Moscow this year when he played for Seska? Uh, yeah, same question we had for uh, Caleb Jones when he had a, a tough first year, right? Or for Ryan McLeod, for that matter, that we talked about earlier. And even then, he had a maybe a tough first half, and he started coming on as the season went along. Uh, so this year, with the uh, AHL season not getting underway, he went to Russia, and he committed to play in Russia for the whole year and not come back to the AHL until the Russian season was over. And then, unfortunately, he got hurt. Uh, before the end of the Russian season, and his, that was the end of his season after uh, 48 games. So he played a lot of hockey in the KHL, uh, second best league in the world with uh, CSKA Moscow, a very good good team. Uh, his scoring numbers were very pedestrian, two goals, six assists, but he was plus 24. And that was something we were tracking throughout the year was that the, he just CSKA kept outscoring the other team during Samorkov's part of the game. And, I mean, at the end of the season, they were, you know, basically they were a goal ahead for every two games that he played. Uh, so, uh, you know, badly outscoring. They scored 38 and they allowed 14 yesterday yeah. during his time. 38 to 14. I mean, and as a team, they were a good team. They were 185 to 121. Well, that's a 3 to 2 ratio. 38 to 14, that's closer to 3 to 1. So he and his partner, uh, Klaus Dahlbeck, former NHLer, very good player, and I suspect very good player in the in the KHL. Uh, uh, they were very, very effective. And what I saw of uh, Smorkov in a few games was just a very steady Eddie defenseman. The puck went through his stick and out of the zone. Didn't give up a lot, and he, you know, he won pucks in the corner and dished it off, and out it went. And I mean, having a good team obviously was a big part of it. But those two guys, that pairing, got into very little trouble in the games that I saw. And you know, and they, when the puck did go north, it wasn't like he was jumping up and getting into the play as a fourth attack or anything. And but they would go up, and sometimes they'd score, and uh, usually they'd take the puck a long way from trouble. And it was. Uh, 
it's just very kind of low key and uh, and just his did his part of the of the big CSKA machine that uh, you and I remember from other eras. <laughs> yeah, it's um his his style of play, and I'm not saying he's as good as his player, but his style of play kind of reminds me of Kevin Lowe. Um, mm-hmm. Just that very steady game where you get the puck, you, you stop the attacker with sound f- fundamental play and a little bit of nastiness if need be. You get the puck and you move the puck. And you do it again and again and again and again. And it, it it's 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 it, it was particularly uh important to see that kind of consistent game from him because his reputation, as Sean Patrick Ryan had told us a number of times, the Oil Knight who writes uh, about prospects of the in the OHL and in the Oilers farm system, they, this had been a very inconsistent player in his junior career. And we saw some of that in the AHL. And but he, he gets to Moscow. I don't know if it was the Dahlbeck effect, playing with a veteran like that, who who was very strong in the KHL, as you suggest. But he just he was there was this metronomic quality to his his TikTok play, just pass the get the puck, pass the puck, get the puck, pass the puck. And um I really liked it. I really liked his play to the extent when his name came up in trade talks this summer, I got a little snarly yeah. about that, Bruce, down there. I didn't, I, I just thought, what are you doing? You have this guy, you know, and, and honestly, I, I'm less of, I'm personally, and, and this isn't most other fans are, they're not going to agree. I would have rather seen Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones move up, move out than Sam Rukov because I think he's got a higher ceiling. Now, is he going to reach that ceiling? I don't know. We'll see. You know, he's got to stay healthy. He got hurt, right? His season ended in yeah. a shoulder injury and he's got to stay healthy. But he, because of his size and his skating ability, I think he's got a higher ceiling than either of those players. And the steadiness that I saw also made me think that way. So when he was talking, like, what was it? Was the was it Ekman Larson that had come up? I think, or no, the goalie was it? The goalie uh, um, out of Arizona. Um, who was that? He went to Colorado. No, he went to Colorado. He, you know, the good goalie. Um, not the Dante Rantis. He went from Arizona to Colorado. Their oh, Kemp- right. Kemper. Right. Oh yeah. He came right. up in the Kemper. Talks, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Anyway, well, a few times his name came up. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. Other teams are smart. They want him. Oh. Like they got, they had scouts looking at the KHL. They think, hey, let's. If the Oilers don't value this player. Let's get him. The good news is, I think the Oilers do value him. Now it'll be interesting to see when he goes back to Bakersfield if he's going to play the right or the left side, because he yeah. played. He played oh, right. on. He played on the right side, which is his preferred side apparently, and uh, he looked really super comfortable there. So we'll see, because they already have Philip Berryland. They have uh, Michael Kesselring and Phil Kemp. So they got those three guys. There's talk about bringing in a veteran um, right side guys. But if they didn't, and they, oh, they also have DeHarnay, isn't, is he, is he right he's shot? A, he's an AHL contract, but yeah, he's a great big right shot. Yeah, so they got lots of players there, and, and you almost hate but to Sam see. Orkoff, he's, I would say he's better than any of those guys who just. Oh, said. yeah. Oh yeah, he oh, yeah, I he agree. can do it. Uh, you know, maybe he's Charlie Huddy. He just good, just as good on the right side as he is on the left. So, I know from um, uh, from uh, Sean Patrick Ryan all night his page. I'm just reading a couple of quotes here about Smorkov, terrific skater, capable of jumping up into play and creating odd man rushes. Well, he he that either was coached out of him in Russia this year, or he was just deciding to work on the defensive aspect of his game because that's what he did. 
uh, this one, and I've seen some of this, has a nasty physical side where he can be an intimidating defender to play against when he wants to be. And this just in, the Oilers now need such a player, having just lost Adam Larson. And yeah. uh, Samorkov is a guy, and I've seen him step up and deliver a couple of open ice hits that would uh, shiver the timbers of the opposing attacker. And that's uh, it's, uh, it's not a bad thing to have where just every once in a while you close that gap and you close it in a hurry and you close down the opponent in, in uh, no uncertain terms. So that's part of his game. The questions are decision-making, consistency, a lot of the typical things that with kids and the kind of questions that often get asked more about Russian kids than sometimes others too, I think. But So... Um... I don't know how many Bakersfield had a really strong defensive team last year. And um, in the playoffs they had, okay, they had Theodor Lenstrom, fantastic uh, Swedish hockey player. Um, maybe came over a couple years too late in terms of making it in the NHL. Uh, he's back in Sweden. Kevin Gravel, they had, who had a couple, you know, played in the NHL for a long time. I don't know if Kevin Gravel's back. I don't think he is from what I hear. They had Max Gilden. He was a loaned player from another organization, I think from Florida. I don't know if he's back. I don't know why he would be. Like, why are you developing another team's player? Like, And then um, they needed a body, which is why they did it last year because of COVID. But don't do that again. That's a really bad idea. They don't need to. They got a lot of bodies now. And uh, unless they're going to trade for him. And then they had Ryan Stanton, who is probably, he's 31. He was 31 last year. He's probably the steadiest defenseman in the AHL, like in terms of like defensive two-way play. Like he's not a, he's not a blistering attacker by any means, but man, he's a great AHL defender. I don't know if Stanton's back either. So it'll be interesting to see uh, exactly who their lineup is on the blue line. Let me just see here, Bruce. They got, um, uh, well, I guess Logason could end up there if he clears waivers. Philip Broberg's, Philip Broberry's there, Marcus Niemelainen, Camp and Kesselring, and uh, Berland. Berland, Saps. Over this year. Yeah, Samorakov. Samorakov's coming back over. They were talking today, Jay Woodcroft was on Oilers Now, and he was talking about the defensemen that, that might be there. And he said, well, I don't really want to talk about guys that aren't going to make the Oilers because they're going to, they're all going into camp and their goal is to make the Oilers. So I don't really want to talk about them. But he said, what I do know is that there's that the Oilers won't be keeping 14 defensemen. <laughs> and he seemed to be pretty happy with the guys, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11 and so on down that, down that list. And, and uh, uh, some of these names certainly did come up and, and uh, uh, it's a, it's a nice set of prospects uh, as a team, they may they will they will miss uh, the the Stantons, Landstrom, you know. Yeah. But they, uh, in terms of the opportunity for the young bucks, it's maybe that much the better that they, you know they're going to they're going to see the important minutes of the games. So yeah, I think this is what the HL is for. It's not a you know it's nice to win there, but we're, what you're really is all about is developing the players and. Uh, We'll see. Lagasin may end up there, Bruce. Like, I, right. he could yeah. clear waivers. It's not on. Wouldn't be impossible. Uh, I'd say it's like a coin flip. Depends if a team needs oh. a defenseman and the timing of the waving and stuff like that. Right. I mean, at 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 the end of camp, there's a lot of guys that get waved, and sometimes some pretty good players get through because every team's got a you know guys on the cusp, right? Yeah. But, but Jay Woodcroft, he did address that today. He talked about. Uh, 
He said, my first objective is to develop players for the Edmonton Oilers. But he said, that's not mutually exclusive from winning. And I'm saying to my radio, yeah, especially if you're trying to develop winners, you know, like it's 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 great that, you know, I don't want to have a team that, you know, finishes in last place because it's it's, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of overwhelmed kids. You want to have the, a team environment where where it sets the standard for what they're going to do next. So they, they talked about uh, uh, that environment and. and you know, between those veteran defensemen, they had some veteran forwards like Adam Cracknell and Seth Griffith and so on that helped out. And they also showed the way a little bit to uh, to um, uh, Oilers youngsters. Um, Ryan well, Lavoie played with uh, Cracky. Lavoie played with Cracknell, yeah. Ryan Holt, the uh, Condors announcer, he was on Oilers Now last week talking about how he thought Cracknell had shown Lavoie a thing or two as line mates, both big Big uh, forwards, not necessarily great skaters, but, you know, um, right-hand shots. Like, they, they actually have some things in common. And so having older players show those younger guys the ropes, there's a lot to be said for that. So, Some big boys on that farm team, eh? Kessel Ring, huge. Camp is big. Nima Linen's massive. Philip Broberry's big player. Logason would be the smallest of the three guy, of those guys. Guys, and then Sam the Harney's giant, and Sam Rukov's a giant. So the uh, the big boys brigade is on the way. Markov officially six two one ninety eight. So just just big, but he's not he's not like huge monster huge, big. No, he's big enough. <laughs> he Kevin, is. He's Kevin Low size. That's yeah. There you go. So that was your comp. Not really, just a style reminiscent of, I don't want to say he's a comp because that's a bit much to say at this point. Um, although at junior, you know, junior hockey, Sam Rukov had as much, you know, Kevin Lowe had great success as a major junior hockey player. So did Sam Rukov. So it's maybe not that, out, out, maybe not that insane. All right, Bruce, uh, anything else? Are we done? Ready to move well, it up? Yeah, we're getting near the top. We're going to have three more players after after these three, and we'll be finished our uh, prospect series in, in not much more than a week's time from uh, this is Monday afternoon and August um, that we'll be uh, wrapping up the prospects. But the actual rookie camp set to start here in a couple of weeks, mid-September. So uh, it's coming fast. And for now, they're holidaying fast and... Uh, we're not really getting any news, but we're probably going to get a PTO or two, and clearly a Yamamoto breakthrough of some description has to happen. It's uh, unfortunately uh, time is ticking by, and he's left kind of dangling in the wind a little bit. That's one I wish they had put to bed. Yeah, I hope he hope he signs. It's interesting because like there is competition coming up for Kyler Yamamoto, not right this this year, but by next year, right? You know, you get Lavoie ready and players like that and Dylan Holloway's coming on strong and Borgo's on the way. So he'd be, he'd be wise, I think, to sign a two or three year deal. If he can get that, we'll see what happens. Hopefully he takes it, you know, honestly, you know, just uh oiler friendly contract. That's what I'm hoping to see on this one, Bruce, because uh, the orders do have the hammer in terms of negotiation. And he is a player who's been inconsistent. So, Two-year deal at a reasonable rate is what I would hope to see. All right, let's leave it there. Thanks for talking. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone. 
And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>